0: to the flail forward podcast we're a group of amateur game designers talking about game design and also whatever derails us from that uh in this episode we're tackling tools of game design with us today we have start with rob hey how's it going and we have caris nor hello and cavor oh that's not the usual order hi (laughs) (laughs) and mark hello and last but certainly not least, Fred. Hi, I'm sometimes the host. Greetings. Yeah, and I guess la- last, last, and certainly least, uh, myself, Jonathan, and I will be the host for this episode. Hey, this you're the only one way. who has something published, so you don't get to say that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Does so I have
1: a successful Twi- Kickstarter? Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, it sounds good if you just say just successful Kickstarter. I mean, don't talk about numbers. <laughs> it's like the smallest yeah. successful Kickstarter there is. That's totally not true.
2: Successful Kickstarter, and yeah, totally not true. Guy got a potato salad that one time. Remember? <laughs>
0: it was yeah, better than that, fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> anyway, I mean, for real? Yeah. Fuck. It was in the thousands of dollars. Yeah. Anyway, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was GoFundMe. Now I can't even remember. Now we're derailed, you know, 10 seconds into the podcast. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is going
3: just as not planned. Think,
0: yeah. <laughs>
3: A new so, record.
0: Yeah. I, I. In this episode, we kind of want to focus on, uh, when I say tools, I mostly mean the things that we use to put our designs on paper or online in one form or another. Um, and most of those are like software and applications and, and web pages and stuff like that. but. Before we jumped into those things, I thought we should talk about the the physical uh, tools that we sometimes use. Maybe not as much as we might have, but uh, pen, pencil, paper, dice, and cards. Um. So yeah, do you? Does anyone still use these things? Uh, I use so
1: many notebooks. <laughs> And oddly enough, despite the fact that my writing is generally legible to most people, I have written more, probably more game design ideas on napkins than anywhere, than in any other medium.
3: <laughs> That's, well, all right. I mean, I, I guess I'm the same with Google Docs. I have so many Google Docs that are literally like a sentence or two sentences of, of a game idea. Like, Ooh, yeah, I'll get work on this later.
4: Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My yeah. project started as a Google Doc, but now all my all my notes are on paper. So, oh, yeah. that's interesting.
1: That's weird. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I literally the first game I like, you could say that I created. It was technically a hack of, oh God, what's that game called? I, sh- I should know it, Exalted, but it was so different from Core Exalted. It was basically its own game. That was written entirely, uh, mostly on napkins and a bit of scratch paper. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, and I, one thing that I do, I do make some notes and notebooks, but by far the bigger things that are physical that affect my game design is is dice um i roll them a lot when i'm trying to figure out how to uh how i want to build a mechanic and i try to i sort of roll it and imagine you know rolling it in a game um is anyone else I'm curious, Mark, like you yeah. are doing a card game. Like how often do you have cards now, now that you're you have they're part of your game?
4: So I, I yeah, my game actually started with dice and then I moved to cards. Um, but I, I have like I don't know how many decks of cards. And then I realized that I could just sleeve one like or like five decks of cards and then use those over and over again and just replace the sleeves instead of buying new decks of cards. But I have at least like a dozen decks now just lying around that are half used and written on with weird sci-fi stuff. (laughs) Um, But uh, no, I I know what you mean about the dice because I think the tactile feel of the game is really important. Um, And uh, I had started with that because I wanted. I'd started with dice in a way that I wanted to have uh, the action of the game be visible on the table so when you rolled the dice I wanted it to be immediately visible how your success or failure went based on looking at the dice and not comparing it to anything else Um, Mm -hmm. and I wanted your skill, your your character's ability to feel uh, tangible so that you held the actual physical objects that represented your chance of success in your hands Um, and that was really important to how I had started to design it um, and I moved to cards because of, um, like, you still have sort of the physicality of the item in your hand and you spend it by playing it. So removing it from your hand. Um, and I still like that aspect of the, the game. Um, but it has a very different feel, I guess, to rolling a set of decks.
3: Hmm. Yeah. I, I get that idea, like where you were going with the, um, wanting to have like the results there on the table Mm -hmm. Um, the reason i'm i'm i I started with dice um well (laughs) okay so the original impetus behind behind my original system which was totally which is discarded at this point was that i just wanted to use a bunch of all the polyhedral dice all at once which is a terrible (laughs) reason for designing a dice system and don't ever do it please (laughs) yeah it's, Uh, it's
0: a
5: terrible reason but it's all too common
3: it's all too common, yeah. I'm just, I'm just copping to that fact that I totally did that that rookie mistake also. Uh, and but at this point, the the reason why I'm still with dice, I mean, it has to do with the 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 narrative structure of the game. It's like the idea of of people reaching into the uh, you know web of fate and, and pulling strings and stuff like that. And one of the ideas was like, oh, well, you can take this randomized thing, and then by spending your resources, you can. Um, sort of de-randomize it a bit but it's like that's that's what the character's doing and so like dice to me always kind of worked but like i the cards for um praxis felt like such an evolution in terms of like what that game's vision was and like you know we have this the idea that you have like this tabula rasa of a character that you start with and a world and and then by uh writing on the cards you're actually you know scribing your your randomizer like as you play which is um yeah totally on
4: brand for that like it's exactly yeah it definitely took a bit of tinkering to figure out that the mechanic i wanted was to develop your character and make that development feel tangible yeah um and i got that instead of from dice through the card mechanic um so, your changes in your character are now reflective in the hand of cards that you have as opposed to in which dice you pick up and roll at the table, mm-hmm. so it's still got the same effect it's just a different way of doing it right um but and, it also
3: that comes with like different um considerations as well because now it's it's you know there's a there's a there's a choice there's a um, a decision point at the randomizer stage yep because you've got this the um this hand of cards that you can see so you can know some of the outcome already. Exactly. Um, which is a really, I mean, the, the other game that I just started reading recently that was, that's like that is um, Phoenix Dawn Command uh, by Keith Baker that has a similar thing. You don't write on the cards, but you your, your, your randomizer is a deck. And um, the idea is that like, you know, in that game that you're heroes and you, you're kind of better than other mortals. So you can, um, you can just exceed them. And like, the fact that you can play like a 5 is you know special in that world because like for 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 other people it's like random but for you you can just do it consistently
4: cool
0: yeah hmm. yeah interesting. interesting idea
3: and and you know what for like for other for when i'm prototyping games yeah i think you're right i think like dice like in the beginning like kind of help you like wrap your for me, it kind of helps like, to figure out what the players are going to do on their turn, you know, when you're like kind of like putting together the turn structure or the round structure. Um, yeah. Just like having some tactile feel of yep. what that might look like or feel like is is useful. Yeah.
4: Exactly. Even just understanding the probabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Carr is going to have something to say uh, to why you shouldn't start with a dice mechanic. Yeah. Uh, and that it does not make your game. So. <laughs> oh, I, I,
5: I could go on forever about that but that's not our topic tonight <laughs> no <Yep>. it's not
0: <laughs> right but i but i think even like um not i mean yes not starting with the dice mechanic is important but but even having a dice mechanic end a game and you know something written down as far as you know this is where success happens and this is might be weird and maybe maybe it's only me who's done it but like rolling a hundred times and seeing how it feels. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, You know what I mean? And then that can affect how you, th- that feedback, um, mm. not so much picking what dice to use, although that's a, an important thing too, but even just the once picking the dice, like the feedback you get from them. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And um, I don't think they're underappreciated or underlooked. It's just, I think, for the majority of what we're going to be talking about. It's very important to bring them up first and say, hey, like we have these tools that are sort of tried, tested, and true. Yeah. Later I'm not on sure on, if you
1: can call a an napkin tried, tested, and true. Sorry, Car, You sorry. can talk now. <laughs>
0: Later
5: on, I'll bring up the technology-driven successor
2: to sitting and rolling dice, but
0: we'll get to that. <laughs> All right, perfect that's that's uh,
2: different i mean because they're talking about feel but
0: anyway yeah yeah um so yeah dice cards notepads pens and paper i'll get uh, my stamp of approval
3: yeah
2: mm. i yeah. i definitely advocate for uh for notebooks and things i i carry at least a notebook on me at all times if not multiple um and like pens always writing down shit it's good i just you know take notes there's like millions of ways of taking notes i tend to have just a big mess of my horrible handwriting but as long as you can like get those things down on the paper and kind of have that have that idea down there and be thinking about it that's i think very helpful especially when you're starting
3: yeah yeah just brainstorming yeah. like just you know sometimes you have an idea for just a mechanic and that'll that'll key off something or you just like or you'll have an idea like oh why can't we tell stories like this mm-hmm. and that'll that'll key off something as well like i mean i got i you know one of those uh google docs with the two sentences of game in it is a uh, is a police procedural because i there's no game that i know of that does like a uh that gives you like narratives like the wire where it's a police game but like it's not about the police work it's about those characters i'm sure somebody will eventually do like a apocalypse world or a fortune of the dark cop game but that was the that was the yeah. idea and it was it just came from like i would like to tell this kind of story and i don't see a game for doing it yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah i had a very i had a approximately 10 session Monster of the week campaign that was kind of that but you know it was not the ideal system for it
4: right right um. yeah, I mean I've been, I've been doing ahead. something similar I've been keeping, so I have like a RPG design folder um, mm-hmm. and whenever I have ideas whether it's for a mechanic or a game system or a concept um, I just go in there and write it down and oh. sort of like a, I want to focus on my main project but these are interesting ideas and things that don't necessarily fit in my game but I would like to work with and that's, right. that's one way that I've been kind of taking down Notes that are longer term for the project that I have on hand, I usually end up writing things down during the playtests on uh character sheets or the GM sheet so that I actually have like more relevant uh areas to associate the feedback to.
3: Yeah, Uh, let's let's um put that in playtesting. We got playtesting on the list, tools for playtesting, so let's uh. I guess throw that a little later, maybe. Um, that's, true, that's true. Yeah, the one of the things. Oh, so so, car, you're talking about about the the modern dice thing. Okay, so a lot of people like do. So uh, questions I see a lot on forums and stuff like that are like, "Hey, how's my probability breakdown?" Um, which to me has gotten old <laughs> in terms of like. <laughs> Just looking at that topic, um, because it its an outgrowth
5: of starting with a dice mechanic for your starting your game with a with a dice mechanic.
3: Yeah, it's yeah, but like eventually you are going to want to know. Hopefully, like if you have, you know, your however your dice mechanic is, right? You do want to know like what that. How that shakes out, and how you can sort of write the rest of your game around it once you've settled on it, and that does knowing probabilities at that point I think is is quite useful because that lets you tune more, I guess, but that's I guess the advice would be that's a that's a step that's later in the process once you've figured yeah, out like, a what your design of stuff. are,
5: yeah. There's a ton of design work you can do before you start working on probabilities.
3: Yeah. So why, uh, why do was, people do that then? Why do people start, like, and, and they ignore... Why do they go straight to dice? Because... Uh, was it the, like Mark was saying, like, that's the most physically, like, graspable thing? I... That's, yeah, that's I think
2: it's... I think because it's Um, it's so core, often too. Um, You know, a Mm, dice mechanic is often seen by often seen and often is like a a core part of what your game is. So people, especially if they have like something a novel dice mechanic or something like that, they think that that then you can grow from that point. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: There's there's also the aspect of. Aside from settings, the only thing of any role playing game that is trademarked is the dice mechanic, which leads people to think that's the core of its identity. You know, you've got fudge dice and d20 and d6 star wars and genesis.
2: Wait, hold on,
5: there you can trademark dice mechanics. You can't trademark the mechanics, but you can trademark the name you give to them.
3: Oh, okay. All right. Yep. But okay. Mark, we are getting some crazy feedback on your mic. Yeah.
1: I assumed it was some type of snow blower.
5: <sighs> so yeah, there's all kinds of subtle, false hints over the industry that make people think that the dice mechanic is the core identity of a game. And right. it's not. So people want to start at the core, so they start with the dice.
2: Right. Um. All right. So uh, moving away from dice a little bit, because I assume we'll, we'll probably talk about um, all the, the digital side of that uh, later on when we talk about um, testing and stuff like that. Uh, but if we move on from note-taking um, there's uh, writing is probably the next well, we kind did, of major one.
1: We're talking about physical things, not note-taking specifically. <laughs> so let's talk about how digital note-taking what people do in terms of that
2: a little. Oh,
1: so, yes. I guess. Thought-
2: I thought we'd already brought up like Google Docs and stuff yeah, when we, we talked about note taking.
1: Yeah. Oh, there's a whole
5: world of note taking software beyond Google Docs.
3: Yeah. But who uses, I mean, did any of us use anything other than Google Docs at the moment? Um <laughs> I run an I I
5: run an issue tracker for myself. Like okay. it's for software bugs, but I use it for my game. Right um my folder is full of just plain text files um if you want an online tool for tracking issues and ideas and all that grunt work stuff there are online things like um trello
4: yeah yeah so I have migrated all of my writing to Scrivener. um, And I find it really helpful and useful for all of my game writing now. Hmm. The way it works is that you create a set of pages. uh, So you bind them in whichever way you want. So you can move a page around, change it from one chapter to another, um, and it's all very easy. There are a lot of really good features for uh, taking notes in the document itself or creating um, sort of like a a summary of what each page represents. Um, And then when you want to create your final document, it displays it all sequentially. So I've organized my game doc in such a way that I have different categories of like this is the introductory paragraph, and then this is the player-facing stuff, and this is the GM-facing stuff. Um, and if I say, oh, I want to move this paragraph sooner, or you know, maybe I don't actually want this mechanic in the game anymore, it's really easy to just take out that section. Um, and you can have uh, other files that are part of like a research documents section. So all of my images, my character sheets, they're all viewable within Scrivener, and I don't need to go anywhere. It's all just located in the research document, in the research folder. Um, All of the old stuff that I've gotten rid of, there's a trash file, so I just move everything there. So it doesn't remove it, it just keeps the project organized. um, And I've been really enjoying it so far. Hmm. Something I forgot I had done a long time ago, when I was
5: working on my uh, game world, I just started a wiki for it.
3: Hmm. Yeah,
5: and like I can't think of anything else relevant to game design that would be more suitable to put in a wiki than like setting information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by far. But that's what I
3: did. There's there's actually a couple of uh, uh, web-based sort of story creation or world creation. There's World Anvil is one, um, and is uh, it was called Obsidian Portal, was it? There was another one. I think it was called that. That was um, sort of like a, a, a world organization uh, app that uh, you could create your own world in and then like populate it and do the maps and all that kind of stuff. Um, that is cool. Obsidian Portal. Yeah, it was Obsidian Portal. Yeah, and and there's also world.
2: campaign management stuff for mm-hmm. like general RPG.
3: Yeah, but the 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 um, the Obsidian Portal and the um, World Anvil are are both feel geared towards um, not just managing your own campaign, but like creating your own setting um, hmm. and have things organized like uh, built around that idea. Yeah, yeah I so will like say I though that in, in general.
5: More general purpose tools that are meant for the kind of content structure you're after are going to be better featured than RPG specific stuff.
3: Yeah, but sometimes there's a time saving component of having the structure already laid out for you if you're not doing anything like really fancy with it. It can be pretty helpful to have like just a guide post like say oh yeah well, i didn't think about x and there's a little prompt or something you know just just stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah
5: what's next jonathan
1: he's not not here um Don't, quit quit breaking anyway <laughs> Um, sorry I, I didn't mean to interrupt you saying words I, we're just terrible at this tonight i don't know why <laughs> apparently Catrice has some function that we didn't know anyway uh <laughs> 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 so where do you actually write these things i guess
3: uh, really? well, I think I mean I started out writing mine in Google Docs and then like I all my writing now is done in InDesign.
4: Um That's you're you're a madman.
3: Yeah. Yes you're or, writing
4: straight into InDesign?
3: Yeah.
5: I do the same thing with Scribus, but I know it's wrong. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I also know it's wrong. It's just like but that's it, that's uh that, that's what I'm doing. Uh um, I if I
1: the reason,
3: there's a there and there however however I know it's wrong but there have been things that have come out of it that are helpful one is that um, I it has forced me multiple times to um, refine my writing to improve the layout and also um, sort of tighten up how the It's it, it forced me to think about flow in ways that typing into a Google Doc didn't.
4: Um. OK. I think, I think my concern with it would be that you end up uh, formatting for how it looks on the page before formatting for content anymore. And I think when you're in the design stage, it's so important to get your concept correct. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I know, yeah,
3: Yeah. I I know I do that. I, so I, when I type, I I write into it and I don't, I don't edit as I'm going. I'll just, I'll just do the thing. Right. And then, and then I'll be like, okay, so let's see, what can I, what did I get too wordy on? And like, or do I just need to add an extra page? And sometimes I'll do that. And then, but then I know I need to add the extra page and then like, okay, well now I can have, I have this room to, to, to do something else with. Um, or or expand upon this concept, and maybe it was I can make it clearer. Um, I don't know. There's yeah. It's probably it's probably really bad to do it this way. But I I <laughs> was writing it in Google Docs for so long, and it became such an unwieldy document that um, I didn't have access to anything like Scrivener or right, right. Um, or any like Word wasn't even close to functional in terms of what I wanted to do with it. Um, and then also, the other thing that's enabled me to do is play test at various stages with players actually reading the material. And then that being a much more engaging experience for them than opening up a Google Doc and going through 60 pages of white, black and white text. Um, having a laid out document gives people an idea of what you're going for uh, even when you're there's design that still hasn't been finished um, and makes people more like, like uh, the amount of feedback I've gotten uh, after it's been laid out and um, the quality of that feedback raised substantially, I would say, and <laughs> that helped contribute to like several, um catalyzing moments in the game's design where like I felt like it really came together once I had gotten that feedback. and I don't think I would have gotten that feedback had somebody just seen a unformatted um Google doc, yeah, so there there's an advantage you know whether That's it true. outweighs whether it outweighs the downsides i i, I
0: don't know,
4: yeah,
1: yeah. I am um, yeah. Um, yeah go ahead good go I mean my final. Submission tends to be an unedited <laughs> Google Doc, so <laughs> my answer to a lot of these, these tools is Google Doc, and I'm echoing through you, Ralph. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, so this is what I write. So, yeah, I write in Google Docs, but I also do the closest thing I do to publishing in them and all that other stuff because I'm a terrible person. <laughs> On well, the right side, of my games tend not to be 60 pages long, so
4: that might help. So, uh, to go over it quickly for those who I guess don't use the tools, whether you're listening or in the podcast, um, I think InDesign has a lot of good features for flowing your writing through the text or through the document um, and formatting the size of your your layout, inserting images in the correct way, and, and managing sort of from a a master file, you can kind of create all subsequent files. So if you needed uh, chapter headings that look the same, or you wanted every page to have a specific design, that would work. Or managing the different types of paragraphs or fonts and whatever, it's it's very easy to set that up with InDesign. Um, the problem I find with it is that it's usually my like last step before I create a document. Like whenever I've gone to Cons, I always bring a, a version of the game that I've uh, gone like brought in InDesign and exported, um, because I find that it's difficult to edit from InDesign. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! <what the> fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, Google Docs, I find are, is helpful for um, sharing the content. So, when I was in a very early stage, it was really easy to send someone a Google Doc link so that they could look at, give good feedback on, and it was relevant in the text. Um, and then I find Scrivener like sort of a, it's harder to share, but it's easier for me to manage the text. Because I, I completely agree with Rob that sometimes large Google Doc files can get completely unwieldy. Um, and I find the same for InDesign files, where it's not always easy to find your bookmarks of where, like, this chapter starts. Or if you want to move one section to a different chapter, then it kind of changes your layout in a big way. Um, so that's. Uh, I think it, those are the tools that I find and why they're good or bad.
5: I think at this point, it's probably helpful for us to point out the difference between a word processor and a desktop publishing app. Yeah. Like word processors, like Microsoft Word or Google Docs or LibreOffice, they're for editing. This is this is the stage. It, this is these are the tools you use to manage your text as it evolves. Right. And then once it's done, you migrate that into desktop publishing, like InDesign or Scribus or. Um, affinity publisher yeah anything like that because those that software is for doing publishing layout like that's how you that's that's what you use to define what your book looks like all the styles the page layouts you know what the final product is going to look like and those are not for editing despite mine and Rob's existing bad
2: habits. (laughs) Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Just to to sort of um, add to what everyone has said, uh, I have had multiple points where I called my game done and was going through interesting stages because I I started in Google Docs and then I went to Gribus and then... Google Docs and then InDesign and then back to Google Docs and then to Word. <laughs> and uh yeah, there's there's lots of reasons. The first, I thought it was done at one point and I showed it to someone um and they're like, "Oh man, this this is, looks good." I, they said it's ready for playtesting. testing <laughs> uh, which was kind of a, a pretty bad shot, but they didn't know. They didn't know it at the time, but um to what Rob had said about having a finished product or something that looks good for playtesters, it's important. It doesn't have to be the best or perfect, but I think there is some added feedback that you get or or added interest that you get that's, that's good. Um, but also, unless they're using... In copy, you can't really get an editor to edit your shit on InDesign. And that pretty much means you have to migrate to, I wouldn't even use Google Docs. I'd use Word or uh, OpenOffice or LibreOffice because they have uh, track changes functions. And without Mm -hmm. that, that's pretty critical to getting your work edited, at least if you care about comparing what it was to what it is. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Um, Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, InDesign does have a track changes feature that you can turn on.
0: Um, Okay. Um, But but they also have to have InDesign or InCopy, yeah, 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 yeah. they can use InCopy, which is useful, um, but Mm -hmm. they still have to own it. Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically. Right. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Flail Forward does not (laughs) condone piracy, but we also totally do.
0: (laughs) No, we don't. No, we don't. What? (laughs) google docs does have track changes it's not bad um but it's it's not as good not great uh, yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so Um, i i yeah try to pick one that you can stick to whatever you pick Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's hence in
3: design i mean yeah that's i mean the only reason i guess the role the reason i got started on that was because i was using it for work and then I got used to it and so now I can I'm, I'm comfortable in that environment so it's
0: just yeah you are like one um, of those guys that makes character sheets in uh, Photoshop so <laughs> you make character sheets in Photoshop there are people who do yeah people Christ that's horrific yeah there are people Jesus who do, Christ,
5: lot, yeah. Why, people who I, do all I, kinds of terrible things in Photoshop yeah and
4: I don't mean
2: make to. memes <laughs> Well that is a terrible thing to do in Photoshop.
4: Yeah. Um
5: one thing something
2: that we, else to, yeah. something else to
5: consider since we're kind of around the topic anyway is regardless of what tools you use, whatever your tool set tool chain is, figure out a workflow that works for you. Yeah. hmm Because like Rob was saying, jumping from you know, Google Docs to InDesign to Scribus to Google Docs—that that just makes extra work for you migrating back and forth between several things.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought would also be helpful for anyone listening is which of these tools are free. Um, so things like LibreOffice is completely free, I believe. Mm-hmm. According to Fred,
3: they're all free.
2: <laughs> what <laughs> I. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Piracy is bad.
4: Uh, um, I think tools like Scrivener and InDesign, you need to pay for. Uh, I think Scrivener is a $40 subscription. And then InDesign is like a monthly creative cloud for like 20 bucks. Uh,
3: I think it's $40 for just InDesign or $60 a month for the, for the suite. The uh, yeah.
5: Scribus is free. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Trillo has publishing? a free tier. Uh, yeah, Scribus is desktop publishing. Okay.
0: Yeah, Affinity Publishers and beta, and it's free, but it will be 50 bucks once it's... Uh,
4: um, out of beta?
0: Yeah, out of beta. Mm-hmm. But just not... Uh, not a subscription, just 50 bucks flat, which is okay. pretty nice. What's, uh,
3: what was it called again?
0: Affinity. A F F I N I T Y. Oh,
3: cool.
0: It, it looks good. I'm going to try to do more work with it after I finish, uh, cut to the chase, which yeah. I'm, I'm going to drop in design here or, uh, Adobe, uh, yeah. in the future. It's just too much. It's, yeah, it's Adobe is so expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if I wasn't if I wasn't getting it on
3: a you know basically a write off on that work, like mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I don't know what I'd use, but yeah,
4: it helps if you're a student too. I think yeah. both both of my tools have student prices, which is nice. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and, and, and you can become a student at any community college for like you know eighty bucks or whatever. It's probably worth it. <laughs>
2: Just get that sweet.edu email account and ride (laughs) that for
4: years.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: Aren't we all students of life? Anyway.
4: (laughs) I
0: am. Unfortunately. also at the cafeteria.
5: Unfortunately, life.edu is not accredited by anybody.
0: Oh, not yet. Which is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, I yeah. Anyway, never mind.
4: Um, I I think the next thing we wanted to hit on was um, how we do odds and probabilities.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you guys brought this up, but I I haven't used these, but something with regard to writing and editing assistance. Um, Yeah, so there's things like the Hemingway editor. Which um, sort of simplifies your your work a little bit and makes it more readable. Supposedly, I've never used these, but um, it,
5: it doesn't do anything to your work, but it tells you how terrible it is. Right, it makes <laughs> yeah. it make
3: suggestions. Yeah, it I would yeah. passive voice, which is something I I'm really bad at. I'm really bad at writing in passive voice. Um, it highlights that. It highlights when you're too wordy or when you have run-on sentences. Um, like yeah, stuff like that, which is, which is good. yeah. Mm-hmm. You kind of have I to would train yourself to like, not immediately do what it says though, because when you're writing like an RPG document, it's, there's going to be things that it doesn't quite get grammatically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Know, Hemingway and,
5: really hates lists in the sentence. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. Um, yeah. One. Yeah. A, if you use that, it's a nice tool, but I think it's made more for writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just yeah just be a little careful with it, um, but it certainly is a a nice tool. Uh, speaking as someone who has fiddled with it, it's it's a it's a nice little tool. I don't know if it's the best thing, but it's good to start with at least, especially if you've never done any like serious writing um, and don't know where you're going with that.
5: It does do one kind of unique thing in that it will tell you the reading level of your text. <laughs> Like most role-playing game books are written anywhere from like fifth to ninth grade level, so you kind of want to s- get yourself into that window. Yeah, um, and um, I would say the lower the better, which, but yeah, that the lower kind of the differs. better because it's simpler and ends up being clearer. The lower grade level you go. Hmm. So, like, me in particular, I have a problem with, like, I've put a couple of passages of my game in there, and they come up, like, grade level 14. I'm like, holy shit, I'm
4: writing college level shit. <laughs> I just I just did it to my first paragraph, and that's what I got to grade 14. It was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: dear. Really? I mean, I didn't think yours was that, like, dense. I mean, yours. It, no, no, it's, it's
4: not like, really. It's, which, that's
3: it's, surprising.
4: It's mostly red. Like, it highlights all your text in different colors, and it's, it's, uh, it's pretty rough. <laughs> uh, uh. So but one thing that I, I found. i actually kind of curious now. I'm going to
3: for the. Yeah, I, I, I haven't done that since I rewrote it like a while ago. Let's see. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a cool one. The other one I like for publishing specifically is um, uh, typography. Um uh practical dot com which is a really great uh uh resource for um hearing fonts yeah mainly fonts but like it really helps you understand like and also page layout and oh yeah that kind of stuff like that's really it's really handy for that um so that's a good thing to look at or just know about just browse through it um. And, and learn that stuff because it's it's super useful and there's things in there that that you would not think to do otherwise like it's it's just at this point it's a science of layout and people have gotten very good at it um, yeah it, it but it's good it's useful
0: yeah so one <laughs> thing that I hope to, take advantage of or try anyway but i think you have to pay for it perfect it um which is more about consistency in your writing so Mm. it'll go through and make sure that you're always your abbreviations are always the same as the last one you used so you know whether you're putting the periods in or not putting the periods in Mm, cool um whether you're capitalizing the same words all the time Mm. this is something we do a lot in in role-playing games when we have very specific uh, words that mean certain things to us, hyphenation, yeah. uh, consistency in bullets, consistency in lists. Um, so that that's, I'd like to check that out. It's called Perfect It. And um, yeah, although I think it is a pay product, unfortunately. Hmm. Oof. But, um, uh, I'm not sure you can easily rip it off there.
2: um one thing as long as we're uh talking about um writing style and editing and stuff um just if you're interested in learning about writing and you want to read a style guide um there's i mean there's a bunch of style guides there's an absolute shit ton uh you could there's like the standbys of like strunken white um which you could read but it's really dry um and not great uh there's one i read a little while back called dryer's english d-r-e-y-e-r-y um which is it's actually mildly entertaining like it's Hmm. it's it's quite readable it's pretty approachable um I i found myself being somewhat entertained by what is essentially just a style guide um and it's also a a uh, quite competent style guide, I I think. I mean, I'm no expert, but from my experience, I would say it's um, quite competent. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, fairly easy read. You could knock it out in like a week or two if you wanted to.
4: Hmm.
2: So that would be if you are, if you're interested in getting some like serious writing skill. There's also a lot of technical writing style guides. I don't know anything about those, though that might be useful. So um, uh, those are going to be I don't know what they
5: are, but they would be very useful because RPG books the 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 terrifying truth is that it is that they're user manuals they're technical documents like
1: yeah, they're but they're technical you know, they're, documents and, that need even,
5: that even though mean, they're meant to facilitate fun, they are technical documents.
2: To yes, a certain extent.
1: Or, yeah, I'm gonna say they are yes, they're technical documents, but they're technical documents you have to deliberately write in in style that is closer to uh, creative writing because you are trying to invoke creative writing. So they're they mm-hmm. exist in an interesting space. Yeah, well, they do. <laughs> yeah.
5: They, they do. can't be treated no really. In,
0: but... No one really agrees what that space is either. Not <laughs> completely. <laughs> yeah.
3: No. Um, no there's I was trying to figure out this idea well I'll talk about it later um but yeah it had to do with that like just trying to figure out exactly what how these stories come together that's what I was trying to figure out and it's not exactly like anything else so
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah but yeah I think we can jump on to uh calculating um so what are, I don't know I I know any dice exists, but I honestly have spent way more time with um, uh, Google sheets or, or other spreadsheets. I, I'm more comfortable in them so I've used them way more for calculating odds. any dice
5: is interesting because it's it's a
0: dedicated
5: you know probability calculator
0: mm-hmm.
5: and like you can do some really intricate stuff with it. Unfortunately, you almost have to have experience with advanced mathematics to even understand the documentation of it.
0: Yes, yeah. no, nah.
2: it's
3: yeah, tough. sort of. I mean, it's I it's, think it's like a programming language. Anything remote, like if you, if you're not doing anything crazy with it, like I okay, so my my dice system is a little weird, but I can you can still model it in any dice. It's not that weird. Like it's it's. Like, it can do, like, okay, you want to do 3d6, you want 2d6, add it together, like a GURPS curve, or the 2d6 for the Powered by the Apocalypse, or even, um, you know, take the best one, like Blaze in the Dark, or, uh, you know, di- any kind of dice pool. Like, it's it's fine for all that stuff. Like, w- any dice is almost a problem because it encourages people to get weirder with their dice method than they should.
0: Yeah. But what I'm saying or or I think maybe what Fred was saying was that like trying to figure out something like blades in the dark without extra help like it's not straightforward. without
3: uh, no no, it's not. that's why that's yeah. why any dice is useful, I think because it can I, I don't think the the documentation is fine in my experience like I'm not a coder right. uh, and I it, it was fine. like it's, it's you can just cut and paste the stuff from the documentation into the little thing and it'll do it. Yeah. Um, so if you it's, understand
5: it's, what the documentation is telling you, which I am a coder and I can't follow half of that shit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, I contend that maybe you just weren't really trying that hard. <laughs> which of the half, half dozen times that I've tried, this.
5: which of the half dozen times that I've tried reading the Anodized docs have, was I
4: not trying hard enough?
3: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, maybe, maybe they're just wrong. written opaquely, I don't know.
4: They, yeah, they aren't the easiest to digest, I agree. Um, I had used any dice for a little bit when I was doing the dice mechanics, and then mm-hmm. since I moved to cards, I just went with a coding language that I did understand um, that I was already using, so I just coded everything in MATLAB for myself, mm-hmm. uh, which is more of a pain in the ass than it needed to be, but it basically is the equivalent of me rolling the dice that i want like a hundred times uh but i got to do it ten thousand times and it happened in half a second so that was cool but Mm -hmm. um i think the the physicality is lost there but i got the percentages that i was looking for um yeah if
5: you're just trying to figure out percentages and odds then the physicality is kind of beside the point like Beyond the physicality, you want the math to work the way you want. And for that, you don't need to to do anything physical. So that's where we get into um, A, spreadsheets, and B, scripting.
0: So that's interesting, though. Just, um, uh, I feel like I'm going off topic too much. I'm going to do it (laughs) anyway. This is doing the dumpster I, fire. Why who who cares? I'm I'm curious though cuz I am curious how people pick what the right numbers are. Do you go by what someone else has done and said I like that, so I'm going to use those numbers? Or do you like cuz there's like it's it's not straightforward. Like for example, someone can take especially if they're doing like the partial partial uh, success. It's easy just to say this is what Uh, part by the apocalypse does and everyone knows what those three different odds are of those three different uh, outcomes and a lot of people use that as a starting point Um, so I'm curious if you where you get your starting points from
5: okay any result set any number of die faces you know can be converted into a percentage so yeah. as soon as you learn to ignore which dice you're using and think about the percentages you're you're already in the like common language of the of the probability. Yeah. So the other thing with that is I think it was back in the 60s or 70s a bunch of uh casinos did a study on their table on their house games and they found that when a player's chance of success was anywhere depending on the game between 60 and 80% the player felt like they had even odds hmm.
0: yeah i and which, i've heard i've heard different which, things like that but it's always people which, saying there's which means that <laughs> sorry yeah like i found it once i should have
5: found it again for the episode or just in general but what that means is that players have a natural like confirmation bias towards the house of between like 10 and 30 hmm. percent so yeah and this this goes directly into RPG design because if you look at D fifth edition, yeah, every single every single role in that game is going to be 70 or 75%, no matter what.
3: It's pretty close. It, yeah, they they, they they have designed a lot of the math of the game to 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 fall into the 60 to 80 percent area. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And the yeah. reason why that window is important is because Um, if your success goes above 80%, it starts to feel unchallengingly easy, but if it drops below 60%, it feels depressingly difficult.
3: Yeah. Very punishing. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no no matter
5: what randomizer you're using, convert it into percentage, and then you'll know if you're sitting in that window.
3: Yeah, that's always been fascinating to me. So there are some games where like the percentages are like right up front, right? So like your game, um, which is a percentile roll under um, uh, basic role playing Call of Cthulhu. Um, Battle Lords is another one. Uh, any other games with percentages um, where like there's... There's things they do. So, like the one that comes to mind for me immediately is on Fantasy Flight's Dark Heresy, which is based on the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay um, game, where you start out like with percentages of like 35 on your on your best stuff, which is abysmal. And, which is it abysmal, right? Terrible. Which is so interesting yeah, and the because players hate it. What's up, dude?
5: And the players hate it because they could they only succeed one out of every three times
3: right well that's that's the thing so players don't hate it though so this is what's interesting to me so like what what those games become right is a um you go hunting for those percentage points like in the rule set and you find them because they're put there for you to find right they're like there's there's various ways of getting those numbers up um that like become The game is just, it's obscured by um, like the amount of text. Um, The games that I find myself preferring nowadays are the ones where they just give it to you. Like they just put you in that, like you said, that 60 to 80% like upfront and they don't make you go hunting for those bonuses. I think there's there's two very different like thoughts and schools of thought, like of, of game design, like when it comes to like, whether or not you hand the players their chances of success on a like up front, or you make them go hunt for them, like games or like Shadowrun, Ra- I Heal, or games like Pathfinder, um, like are about making the player hunt for their success in within the rule set. Well, not only that, like, unless you're using
5: like this is a player psychology. Design. yeah
3: that's what i'm that's what i'm saying like there, there's, so, there's a, I, a school of design that's like this you know uh, it's it, it's attacking that player psychology with like this list of bonuses you want to try and track down right so it's like it's it's well, doing the the what do you call it the skinner box like with with five percent bonuses
5: well aside from that like if your randomizer does not naturally work in percentages your randomizer is therefore naturally obfuscating the chance of success from the player. That's why I use one of the reasons why my game uses percentile because I wanted that right out front mm-hmm. completely obvious so that the players could do proper like an informed risk assessment.
3: Right. Yeah, I, I get that. But like there's also but there's reasons to use dice dice methods other than percentile like yes you know it it doesn't doesn't like a lot of people
5: a lot of people don't realize that the randomizer is obscuring the chance of success from the players and some designers know that and they lean into it
3: yeah and and some designers have a different like hmm there's there's a, a feel to it, right? There's a feel of a curve versus a, a linear uh, distribution. Um, <laughs> what? No?
1: No, you're correct. I I, I was tempted to take over. Um, but you can talk if you want as the <laughs> no, as the token person who much prefers curves to. Uh, linear progression and that's probably yeah. that's probably odd. <laughs> if I, the, it actually has basically nothing to do with the re- reason I like it, the core ideas of PPTA because the dice mechanic isn't really important to me but I do appreciate that it's curved and I like I like my curves but I don't like it uh, basically I don't like it when it becomes a huge pool to create the curve I don't like throwing I know there's a lot of people out there who like throwing a million dice I am not one of them. If I have to throw more than three dice at once, I am,
3: I am, not happy. <laughs> so well, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I it is a, I do have a dice pool system. Although it, I have purposely kept it small. Like the, yeah. the biggest it can get is if you max out everything is twelve. Like. <laughs> and that's oh. taken significant opportunity costs to to get there, and it's generally not worth it. Yeah, twelve, um, thirteen, but you're right, Rob, con, um, but you're right Rob. There is, a, yeah.
5: you're right, Rob. There is a feel to the different probability yeah. curves, and but unless someone sits down and studies the mechanic and works out the math behind it, it takes a while for that feel to emerge. Because you have to roll, you have to make so many rolls to figure out, you know, what your success rate is going to be if you don't know it.
1: Mm, Yeah, but it's not that hard to calculate a probability curve. No,
3: (laughs) um, well, I mean, I'm I'm using ten sided dice, so it's 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 even easier. It's like it's it's a pretty transparent like mechanic in terms of what your success pool should look like. Yeah, but it's easy to obscure that. So, like,
5: even in D and D, like your level bonus and the way DC increases, they cancel each other out. That's why every roll is seventy or seventy-five percent.
3: Yeah, generally, generally D and D is a treadmill. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's more of a thing for in third edition and on. Like in second edition, it didn't really have that. Wasn't really a feature. Like the, the, the. It
5: it was, it just, it was
3: much less obvious because Thacko was inverted. No, no, I'm talking about like you generally weren't. The, the difficulties didn't move, but your improvement was, was real over the course of the level progression. Like you, like the, the percentage, percentages went up over the course of the level progression. They didn't, they didn't hover around the same level mm-hmm. yeah yeah well i mean i guess that's the case in third edition too except it was i don't think it was intentional yeah
0: well it was definitely my fault for getting us to this point so i'm going to be the one that brings us back on track <laughs> that's fair <laughs> but um yeah i think i think we'll call this uh call this it for this episode and uh when we come back for our next episode, we'll continue on talking about uh, game design tools. We got uh, a bunch more to go, so we hope to we hope to have you guys here then. Yep. But uh, goodbye for this week, everyone. Bye. See bye. you next week. Thanks for listening.
2: Goodbye. Did you hear the Good Jonathan's night.
1: Kickstarter
0: funded? Yeah,
1: bye. <laughs>